You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. I'm your host, Darius Good. On our podcast show, we take an in-depth look at the topic and subject of divorce. I believe this has been one of the most mistaught subjects in the church. Um, and we're going to deal with some of the teachings on today. Last week, I had a very interesting experience. I was contacted by my uncle and... His daughter, which is my cousin, is a part of a Christian uh, group. They chat online and they will share different things within this group. And one of the women uh, that was a part of the group was sharing with them that she came into this revelation that she is in a adulterous marriage. So she shared two scriptures with them. One was from Romans chapter seven. Another one was from Matthew in which she's explaining the teachings of Jesus. Now, at this point, uh, she is currently married, and I won't say the lady's name, but she, uh, her husband has been married before, previously married. So she married a divorced man, and at this point, they have a young daughter that is seven years old. So now that she's come to her conclusion in her, her studies of these particular scriptures, She's, she's now realizing she's in an adulterous marriage, and so she is going to dissolve the marriage by divorce. She shared her, her uh, understanding with her husband, who completely disagrees with her, um, and then she began to share her findings with those a part of the group. Many of them told her that her, her, uh, her conclusion is not consistent with the scriptures. Um, things were, have been taken out of context but I think the problem is many people don't know how to look at the scripture and really explain it as it should be explained. Um, I did attempt to contact the woman uh, to, to, to do a sit down with her so that we could go through the scriptures together so that we could really have a clear understanding, not, a just, not just of what the scripture is saying, but the importance of understanding the time and the culture in which Jesus lived in. I think this is problem number one, that we read the scriptures through a modern day era, modern day lens, and it's hard to decipher uh, time and era, culture, normalities that is not current with today's lifestyles. We got to go back to the time and era in which Jesus lived in order to understand their culture. I feel that many Christian teachers that teach on this topic have not done the due diligence of really digging through the scriptures. Many of them might quote a scripture here or there from the book of Leviticus, the book of, of uh, Deuteronomy in regards to a couple of scriptures. But to really do a real search into this subject and topic of divorce, I think we have done the Christian community a complete disservice. So what I want to do on today is parallel the teachings of Christian adulterous marriage versus Jewish 
adulterous marriage. And when I say Jewish, I'm not talking about current Jews. I'm talking about the Jewish faith, uh, the Israelites, the time and era in which Jesus lived. And so when we think of, number one, the concept of adultery, we define adultery as a man or woman that is currently married. So they're legally bound to a man or a woman through marriage, which means there has to be some legal documentation. The term ketubah is a Jewish or a Hebrewic, Hebraic term, which means writing. And they would write out their marriage agreement. The ketubah was put together at the beginning of the process, at the beginning uh, it, it was the first step of the espousal or betrothal process. So as the man and the woman uh, saw fit to engage in marriage, the first step they would do would sit down and discuss what this marriage would look like. And they would write all these details out. And maybe one episode will sit down and go through what their ketubah looked like. Because I think it would be very surprising to many of our Christian teachers on the subject of marriage and divorce they don't understand what is, is included in the ketubah. But the process of betrothal begins with this stage. And they would agree on the dowry. What the father would gift to the groom. And they would also agree on what the groom would gift to the father as a spousal payment for the daughter. The price for the daughter varied. But here's another discrepancy with Christian teachings. So if the daughter was a virgin, the groom or husband-to-be would give a certain amount. And, of course, there was a great amount. It could vary. But there was a set uh, uh, least amount paid for a virgin. That price differed. And I shouldn't call it a price because you're not buying the bride. But it's a gift. But the cost for the bride differed based on her status. So there was a higher status or higher price paid for the virgin than it was for a daughter that was widowed. And it was a lesser price for a daughter that was divorced. And it was also a lesser price for a woman that was non Jewish born. So she might have been a foreign born woman. So all these statuses affected the amount of the spousal payment that was paid to the father. It's important you understand that. Why? Because if you miss that little detail that I just gave, you have to understand that it was normal within Jewish culture, within the Israelite nation for there to be divorced women. What am I saying? I'm saying they're entering into their second marriage. So to say that a woman gets divorced and then she can't remarry, then then that violates the culture, the times, the era, the cultural norms of the the of where Jesus lived. And it's important that we understand this. All right, so the process of marriage begins with uh, the ketubah. They enter into this agreement. Um, about nine months to a year later, they will enter into their actual marriage where they would then give their nuptials. 
So understand, when they signed the ketubah, they were considered legally married. But they could not fulfill anything written in the agreement until they exchanged their nuptials, until they exchanged their vows. The witnesses for the wedding could not be a part of their family. So their witnesses had to be someone that was a non-relative and the relative would then sign the ketubahs at the actual exchanging of the vows. Understand that they read those marriage agreements publicly out loud and then they were signed off by the witnesses. They were written by the scribes. It's a very long, detailed process of them getting married. It's very, um, let me say it this way. I feel as I've been studying and reading how they conducted and entered into marriage, it helps us understand why many of our marriages in current day uh, are failing because we don't take marriage serious. We don't sit down to explain to the woman what I what I'm looking for and expecting within the marriage. The woman is not sitting down and explaining in detail what she's expecting and looking for in the marriage. And then we're writing it out in hand by hand so that we have a legal documentation binding us to our vows. I go to do, I do ceremonies now as a pastor and I'll put, I mean, I don't, I'm not a betting man. I don't bet, but I guarantee if you ask the, the, the husband or the wife, what did you vow? What did you say that you were going to do? The agreement that you made with your spouse, that you sealed with a kiss, that you sealed with a ring, that you sealed with blood through the sexual intimacy of the marriage. What was the vow that was made? Most of them won't remember. And that's the sad part. They don't take the vow seriously. But in Jewish culture, as they wrote the ketubah down, there's now no question of what you are agreeing to, to do as either a husband or a wife within this marriage. So now, let's talk about what adultery is. We define adultery as uh, sex outside of marriage covenant, which means it's sex with a man that's married to a woman or a woman married to a man, and now they're having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. So that's our definition of adultery. Now, with our Christian standpoint, Christian teachings, the, the mindset is that when a person commits adultery within a marriage, what we've done is we've taken teachings from Jesus. One is Matthew chapter 5. Another one is Matthew chapter 19. And then we'll state that if the, one of the spouses commit adultery within the marriage, then Jesus said, then for that cause, we can now get divorced. Problem with this teaching, there's two, or actually several problems with this teaching. It's more than two. But one, as we've been covering in detail, Jesus said, I did not came, come to change the law, did not come to alter the law of Moses. So that teaching there, the state's, that if adultery is occur occurs within the marriage and you can now get divorced, that would be a complete change to the law of Moses. We understand that the law of Moses required the adulterer or the adulteress to be killed. When God said thou shalt not have or thou shalt not commit adultery, that offense was punishable by death. 
There was no sin offering that could be brought. There was no forgiveness that could be asked for. There was nothing that can be done. All they did was follow the law, and those individuals were killed either by strangulation or by stoning. So that's how they dealt with adultery within a marriage. So that would mean an adulterous marriage would have to have a complete different definition than a man or a woman that is having sex with somebody other than their spouse. So let's define what an adulterous marriage is. So this is what we've done with our Christian teachings. And I found an article. I will not name the author of the article. I will not name the website or the blog that it comes from, but they basically explain what adulterous marriage is. And I'm using their teaching because this is the popular teaching amongst Christianity in regards to what an adulterous marriage is. So taking these same verses from Matthew 19, um, verse 9, they also include Romans chapter 7, as this woman did, um, as I mentioned in the beginning of today's episode. And they look at this, this writing to draw a conclusion of what Jesus is painting as an adulterous marriage. So they go on to say, I say unto you, whosoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So what they're describing is um, a person that's entered into a divorce, and now they enter into a second marriage. They have now labeled this an adulterous marriage. The other verse from Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, it says, The married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So the conclusion of this particular writing they say, how do you avoid an adulterous marriage? They give you three answers. One, marry someone who is not bound to another. Two, remain in that marriage for a lifetime. And three, if separated, remain unmarried or be reconciled. So that's it. Once you marry whoever you married, divorce is not an option. And if you end up divorced, you have to remain that way uh, for the rest of your life. That's very extreme. Now, here's the problem is that does not match Jewish teachings. It doesn't match Jewish culture. It doesn't match the time and era in which Jesus lived. So let's go and take a look at Jewish laws. In regards to an adulterous marriage, because we understand adultery was not permitted. So obviously there was no cheating within the marriage in that sense, because that was handled through through uh, punishable by death. So now an adulterous marriage had to be a whole different animal that does not deal with the concept of adultery. So we explained this at the end of last episode. I want to spend a little more time on it today. An adulterous marriage you got to remember the time and era. They traveled from town to town. 
Sometimes they would travel to another nation. They conducted business. They would go to their, uh, their birth towns to pay taxes. They would often engage in war, fighting against other nations. And so the men would travel and go away as they would fight these other nations. So it's a lot of uh, leaving that would transpire of the husband from the wife. And in doing so, sometimes the husband might be gone for many years. So we have a story of David. Here he is married to Michael, the, the second daughter, the youngest daughter of Saul. And we have the story where Saul is attempting to kill David, take his life. And so he climbs out of the window to escape. Michael creates the image of a man within the bed. When they came into the room, they realized David was not sleeping in the bed, but he had escaped. Saul was so angry. David takes off running to escape uh, his father-in-law. And uh, over time, what Saul does is he takes Michael and gives her to another man to be wed. We don't know how long David was gone. It might have been years uh, from him leaving the house to the point that his wife is now given to another man in marriage. You look at the story of Mary. Mary is travels and spends three months with her cousin Elizabeth. So during that time and era, the era, there was a lot of traveling that took place. Sometimes men were robbed. Sometimes they were killed on the road. So here's the thing with Jewish culture was they were not permitted. Israelite women were not permitted to remarry simply because the husband was not present. If he was gone for a year, for two years, for five years, for 10 years, they could not remarry because the man did not come back. As Paul explained in Romans 7, they were bound by marriage to one another as long as the husband lived. So now, how did the woman enter into a second marriage? It required the witness of two or three witnesses. She had to, one, one witness was not enough. So there had to be at least two or three that could corroborate the story to say that this woman's husband died. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. This is court. We're talking about legal, a legal process that had to occur. So they would legally testify of the death of this woman's husband. In doing so, she was now considered a widow and was permitted to wed again. She was permitted to enter into a second betrothal. She could have another ketubah written out another written legal agreement between her and another man pledging her fealty to this man. The thing was with Jewish law, a woman could not have two legal binding ketubas. So the first one had to be dissolved in this case, dissolved by death. Once you become a widow, you're free to marry another. So with that being the status of this woman, she can enter into a second legal binding marriage agreement with another man. The problem with this time and error was sometimes the facts would be wrong. The man might have been captured in battle. The man might have, you know, we could come up with all kinds of scenarios, but even with David, as he ran for his life, he's engaging in all kind of warfare. Eventually, David came back and demanded his wife back. 
That's my wife. I paid the spousal payment. In the case of David, the spousal payment was foreskins. He had to kill a certain number of Philistines and bring the the foreskins to Saul as part of the spousal payment. So now he's being the first husband legally could demand to have his wife back. And we're going to have to look in that story a little more detail um, as I learned some some new details over the last few days regarding this marriage. But David legally demanded his wife back. And so the second husband, if you remember the story, walks behind Michael. He's crying. And I believe it was Abner, the captain of the army, told the man to go back home. And so David took his wife back. Michael, that's the first marriage that ketubah that marriage agreement was legally binding because david was still alive so as i explained in cases where the husband returns home and finds his well his wife married to another man that's the second marriage now considered an adulterous marriage So the court required Jewish women, the Israelite women, to get a divorce from the first husband. Because if she married a second man and had sexual relationship with this, the second husband, she's now considered defiled with the first husband. So according to the law of Moses, she cannot return to the former husband. So now he has to draft her a bill of divorce, which is called a get. He has to give her a get. They had to dissolve that marriage based on their ketubah, whatever the agreement was in their dissolution of the marriage. Yes, in Jewish culture, their marriage agreement contained what we would call a prenup. So in the case of the dissolution of the marriage, then the court will look at the agreement that first marriage will be dissolved. Then she was required to divorce the second husband. Even though that marriage is not considered legitimate, the marriage is actually, it's a, it's a binding agreement. So now that agreement has to be dissolved. Even though it was viewed as a adulterous marriage, she has to get divorced from this second husband because they are in a binding contract. So then she receives a get or a bill of divorce from the second husband. And then she was not permitted to marry the first husband or the second husband again, but she was permitted to remarry. Now, let's take a moment. We're going to look at the the divorce law, the Levitical law in regards to divorce. So in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man has taken a wife and married her and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. So Moses is describing a scenario in which the marriage is now reached the point of divorce for the first time. We don't see the concept of divorce before this. But for the first time, the Lord told Moses to require them to get a divorce. What were they doing before? They were just sending the women out of the house. 
So now they couldn't just send them out. They had to legally divorce their husbands. Just for a real quick understanding of why this was the case, it was so that the woman could receive her dowry, not just the dowry, but also the items that they had agreed upon in case of the marriage ending in divorce. All that was written in the ketubah. So now Moses required them to uh, give her a bill of divorce. He said, give it in her hand. What we fail to understand is this is a court process. Just like today, when people go to court, you are only divorced if it's legal, which means you stood in front of a judge and that paperwork had to be signed and the marriage was legally dissolved. The same is true for them. They had to go to the Sanhedrin. They had a court system that was established. These were the elders. So they would go to the Sanhedrin. They would look at the ketubah. They would decide to divide up the assets. It was based on whatever was written in their ketubah. And then the scribe was required to write out the bill of divorce. He placed it in the hand of the husband. The husband was then required to place it into the hand of the woman. And then it said she had to leave his house. And we're going to deal with this a little more in a few minutes. When she departed out of his house, it says at verse two, she may go and be another man's wife. Jesus did not change the law. But she could remarry. Here's a third scenario. Verse three, if the latter husband hates her, writes her a bill of divorce. So now she's divorced a second time. He puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house or. That second husband dies. So now she's a widow or a divorced woman. Guess what? She could not go back to the first husband. But she was free to marry again. The Jewish law, the Jewish culture is different than what we've heard taught. It's different than what we're hearing taught by Christian teachers of them saying what the Bible says, of them saying what Jesus said. I'm telling you. Jesus did not change the law. So we're going to dig more into this on next week. Thank you for joining us on today. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.